0: Hope Brooklyn. It is so good to be back. I have missed you guys. I have not missed this camera, but I have missed you, and I am imagining each and every one of your faces, faces that I know, faces that I don't know. The ones I don't know are very pretty, um, very handsome. I just want you to know that. Uh, My name is Russ. I'm one of the pastors of this church, and for the last five and a half weeks, my wife, Anna, and I have been away on sabbatical. Um, and it has been incredible. We have unplugged, we have rested, we have recharged ourselves. Um, but it is so good to be back. I have a fire in my belly um, for what God is up to, what God has been showing me, and where I think He's taking us as a church this fall. Um, I'm excited to get into the message today. Before we do, I just want to preview uh, the fall uh, with a couple quick announcements. They'll, they'll come back at the end of the service, too, at the, at the end of the message. But just to sort of give you a heads up, next Sunday, we are kicking off a new series. Actually, it's going to be a three-week mini-series that we are calling The Fog. I don't know if that feels like an apropos title right now, The Fog. Um, It certainly feels right now like we are living in the midst of a fog. There's such uncertainty. We can't see the road before us. Uh, Where are we going? And in this three-week mini-series, we are going to be exploring the temptations of Jesus. Now, you may or may not know this, but before Jesus began his earthly ministry, uh, his, his ministry in Galilee and Judea, God actually took him to the desert, took him away by himself. And for 40 days, he fasted and he prayed. He, he did not eat food and he just prayed. He, he was in the presence of God. And during those 40 days, Satan, uh, the accuser, the one who opposes God's kingdom, God's goodness, God's love in this world, Satan came to him and tempted him uh, three times with three different temptations. And so we as a church are going to uh, walk that path with Jesus over the next three weeks. Um, We are going to look at the temptations of Jesus and see how they parallel and mirror our own temptations right now as we prepare ourselves for the fall. And since we're going to be talking about the temptations of Jesus and and looking at how he was fasting, uh, in conjunction with this, we're going to be entering into a 21-day fast uh, as a church. We do uh, two fasts a year. We do one at the start of the year, and we do one in August to prepare ourselves for the fall. And I don't know if you have any experience with fasting or not, but I strongly uh, want to encourage you to to do this with us. It was obviously something really important because Jesus did it. Um, But but fasting at its core is is shedding certain things, good things like food, um, certain, certain aspects of our lives, shedding them for a period of time, not because they're unimportant, but because they've become too important in our hearts. And it's a refocusing of our hearts, of our minds, of our wills, on the Word of God, on the presence of God. Uh, Our care crew has been hard at work developing a strategy for this 21 days of prayer and fasting. They've created this rad devotional. Um, It's it's chock full of like really great rich stuff to take you through each day. We're also gonna have um, morning prayers, midday Psalms, evening journaling via Zoom, all of that via Zoom. So there's going to be some great aspects of of interfacing with the community during this fast. So I want to challenge you. I don't know where you're at, but if you're like me, I want more of God. I just got back from sabbatical. I want more of God. I want more of Him. And so I'm willing to go without whatever it requires to to seek His presence even more. So would you join me, join us as a church? Uh, You can find the link to the fast uh, to to register for it uh, in the description below this video. And lastly... um, Starting the new series, The Fog, next Sunday, we're gonna have some exciting announcements about how we as Hope Brooklyn are gonna be interfacing this fall. So you're gonna to wanna to make sure you tune in uh, to get all the updates, all the, the hot takes on, um, on how we're gonna be gathering this fall. Invite a friend to journey along with you, with us, as we, as we step into um, a deeper relationship with God. And with that, I would like to pray to open up our time and then jump into the message. Will you join me in prayer? We pray, come Holy Spirit. Spirit of the resurrected Jesus, the one who gave life to our Savior, the one who led Him into the desert to be tempted, the one who sustained Him and comforted Him, the one who empowered Him to cast out evil forces and powers, the one who empowered him to heal diseases, the one who empowered him to teach with an authority that the world hadn't heard. Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of the living God, would you come upon us right now? Would you have your way with us, your people? Would you awaken hearts to your message, your gospel, your good news speaking out? to everyone. We give you our time. We're here. So we make our hearts available. We make our minds available. We give you our time, and we want to receive whatever you have for us today. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. So today, uh, I want to share a little bit about my sabbatical experience and what I felt like God was was speaking to me. And uh, to do that, I'm going to do it by way of concluding our summer series, My First Love. That phrase, my first love, it actually comes from the book of Revelation. Um, There's a a part in in the book of Revelation where where God is speaking to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And one of them, the church of Ephesus, um, this is where we we get this phrase. He's he's extolling them. He's telling the church in Ephesus um, that he sees their perseverance. He sees their endurance. He sees their good deeds. And he's so proud of them. But then in a really interesting turn, we read this next part. And God says to the church in Ephesus, after after praising them for a lot of good things, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at the first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you, and remove your lampstand from its place. It feels kind of harsh, doesn't it? It's this picture of a church or or a person, even, that is that is striving to uh, to do good deeds, striving to focus on the right things. They're enduring, they're persevering, they're striving to 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 know God, to serve God, and yet in the midst of all this striving. God comes to them and says, you've actually missed it. There is something vital to your very identity, your very life that, you have, that you've lost, you've forsaken. You've forsaken your first love. And it's so serious that if you don't get it back, that, that, that spark within you, that lamp, that lampstand, it's going to be taken away. I mean, it's actually not that far afield. I mean, consider relationships, consider marriages, consider friendships. Um, I, I've, I've had this experience with my wife, Anna, where obviously, I mean, we got married because we fell in love. We, there were things about each other's spirits that connected on a deep level. Um, and obviously, we didn't know uh, each other and who we're going to become, but we, we saw enough that we're like, this is my person. But then life happens, work happens. Kids happen, um, stress happens, setbacks happen, pandemics happen, and you become so focused on all these other things, all these other voices that one day you wake up and you look at each other and you say, who are you? <laughs> like, we've, we're not marriage partners anymore, we're roommates. We're not friends anymore, we're partners, something. That, that first love has been lost. It's not intentional. It's not like um, we we intentionally chose to to get rid of it. It's just we were so focused on other things that we've lost perspective. We've we've forgotten something even more significant than all the rest. And we entered into this series this summer because it was really paralleling my spirit pre-sabbatical. Before sabbatical, I just felt like the world was so loud. The world is so loud. I couldn't think. I I was just pulled in so many directions. I was trying to control so many different aspects of ministry and and of of the community. And there was so much that was out of my control. And I I was grasping at so many things, and it was so loud. That still small voice of intimacy, that spark, that light within me, it was growing dim. And I needed to silence all those voices and get away and return to my first love. The word sabbatical comes from uh, the word Sabbath. I mean, they're, they're sort of the same root. And Sabbath, you've probably heard this phrase. Um, to, to take a Sabbath means to have a 24-hour period of rest, right? We usually connote Sabbath with rest. But in fact, uh, the Hebrew Sabbath is from Shavuot, which uh, literally means to stop, to cease, to stop things, to turn things off, to, to stop all the voices, to like bluntly just turn them off and return to something very primal, elemental, and fundamental about our being, our existence. And that's what Anna and I did on our sabbatical. We stopped, we turned off everything, and we returned to the elementary things of being a human. We, we ate breakfast really slowly, really slowly. We took walks whenever we felt like it. We watched Forrest Gump again. I'm telling you right now, Forrest Gump is the medicine you didn't know you needed right now. Go check it out, and then send me a thank you note later. We returned to old movies. We, we, we sat on, on porches and in our rooms, and we just prayed, and we worshiped, and we pulled out the old school jams. My church nerds know what I'm talking about. But we pulled out, like, some Days of Elijah. Come on. Behold, he comes. I won't do any more. We pulled out some, some breathe. This is the air I breathe. We pulled out the old school stuff, the stuff we haven't sung in forever. And it hit, it hit differently. I was reflecting on that um, really famous line from T.S. Eliot's poem, Little Gidding. And uh, you've probably heard it, even if you don't know the poem. Uh, In the middle, toward the end, I should say, of the poem, um, Eliot writes this, he writes, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. That sort of summed up sabbatical, and I think sums up sabbatical in a lot of ways. We shall not cease from our exploring. We're exploring this world. But the end of all our exploring will be to return, to arrive where we started, and to know it for the first time. That's what we did, Anna and I. We, we ceased our exploring in the world. We ceased trying to know things. We ceased listening to people. And we returned to where we started. We ate. We slept. We prayed. We worshiped. We held hands. We talked. We confessed. And it felt different. You felt it. I knew it for the first time, as Elliot says. On sabbatical, we turned off the exploration and we returned to the simple things. And when I did that, I was so overcome, friends, with the power of the gospel in a way that I haven't felt or known in years. I was so filled with the truth of God in a way that it overwhelmed me. I was overwhelmed with why this this story of Jesus, this proclamation of this guy, Jesus from Nazareth, who lived 2,000 years ago, I was overwhelmed with how true it is and how good it is for your soul and how you need this, I need this more than I need anything else, more than I need whoever my or your president is this November. I need this more. More than I need a vaccine. More than you do. I need, and you need this more. More than knowing what's coming in the next few months. We need this more. And that's what God was showing me again. You know, originally when we when we sort of put forth this series and I was talking to my friends, and I, I hope you enjoyed them. Um, they're incredible people. But as I was talking with my friends, the, the idea was to really look at um, a passage of Scripture, uh, one of the first ones that God used to get your attention, to reveal the depths of His love for you. And so for s- sort of summing up this series and And talking about sabbatical, for me, when I think about um, the the scriptures that God really spoke through me, it has to come from Joshua 1, chapter 9. Joshua 1, 9. So just to give a little uh, background, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Torah, the teachings of Moses. It explains sort of uh, the history of Israel, sort of the beginnings, the origins of Israel, and then how they ended up in captivity and slavery in Egypt. How Moses um, was the instrument of God to deliver Israel out of captivity and lead them in the desert, walking the desert toward the promised land where God will settle his people. When Deuteronomy ends, Moses has just died, and now Joshua is taking over. Uh, he He has been authorized by Moses to be the new leader and to lead the people into the promised land. And so this is the beginning of the book of Joshua. God is speaking to Joshua, um, preparing him for what's about to come, which is leading the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. And this is what God says to Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9. This is what he says. He goes, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, the reason why this this verse is particularly special and impactful for me, as many of you guys know, I was born with golden syndrome. I've had to have a lot of surgeries in my life, somewhere in the range of 15 to 25. And before every single surgery, literally like right in the the pre-OR room where the nurses come around the corner and they give you that little smile and they're like, all right, you ready? And you're like, no, I'm not. But always, right in that point, right before they're about to wheel me off, separate me from my mom and my dad, my parents would would come to my bedside and uh, they would say, um, they they would read this verse. They'd say, Russ, has God not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I remember still being a boy. And... um, And hearing that verse for the first couple times, because I was afraid, and hearing uh, and sensing the peace of God, the truth of God speak through my mom and my dad. And I knew that they couldn't come to the OR with me, but but God was gonna come with me. He was gonna be there. And no matter what, no matter what, he would be with me. And so over sabbatical, I returned to this passage. I returned um, to, to this chapter and i read it and i remembered and i i prayed it and god just broke me with it i just heard it so differently i arrived at where i had started i was once again that little boy in a hospital bed where i started and i heard it differently i knew it for the first time and when i when i asked well, what changed like What does Eliot mean by that? To return to where we started, to arrive where we started, and to know it for the first time. What changed? And I think it has to be the middle part. The middle part is what has changed. And here's what I mean. Right in the middle of this this passage, when God says, you know, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Then he says, do not be afraid. (laughs) I knew fear now. I mean, I sorta of knew it as a boy, but now, 30 years later or whatnot, I know fear. I know lots of fear. I still remember you know, when I was reflecting on, on what is it that, was, that I was so afraid of you know, the operating room. And it was simply this, what, what do we fear? We fear what we don't know. We fear the unknowns. I didn't know what was coming at first. I didn't know what instruments of torture they had waiting back there for me. I didn't know um, if I was going to wake up. So I feared the unknown. And and when we don't know things, our brains create monsters that torment us. Joshua, in this passage, Israel, they know fear. Right? I just read verse 9 of chapter 1. But in verse 1 of Joshua, this is how the book of Joshua opens. This is what God says to Joshua. He goes, hey, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. Moses is dead. Joshua and Israel know fear. Because here's what you have to realize. For the last 40 years, 40 years, longer than I've been alive, for many of you, longer than you've been alive, For 40 years, Moses was the leader of Israel. Moses was the representative of God. Moses is the one who brought the plagues. God brought plagues through Moses into Egypt. Moses led the people out of Egypt. Moses raised his staff and the waters parted. Moses gave bread from heaven. Moses brought water out of a rock. Moses ascended Mount Sinai and and went into the clouds where the presence of God was so thick and so heavy. We're told in the Bible that with no one else has God spoken to someone face to face like a friend. When Moses descended the mountain, his face was so dazzling because he had been in the presence of God that people couldn't look at him. Moses had been the foundation of this people. And now Moses is dead. And Joshua's in charge. (laughs) Don't you think Joshua and all the people are wondering, what if his face doesn't dazzle? What if he raises his staff and God doesn't answer? Joshua knows fear. The very structure of Israel's faith the very structure and foundation of their community is now shaking. It's been brought into question. Before I left for the sabbatical, and even still right now, a pandemic is happening all around us. The very structure of our city, the foundation of our communities of our church, is shaking and brought into question. Your very life, your future, is unknown. Israel did not know if God is going to go with Joshua the same way he went with Moses. They knew God was going to go with Moses, but we don't know about Joshua. We don't know what's about to happen this fall. We don't know. Unknowns are everywhere. There have been. Deaths, job losses, skyrocketing of anxiety. I mean, now we still feel it within us. This inability to be in someone's presence without fear of what invisible virus they're carrying. There's such unknown. There's such fear. Even the the social unrest that is shaking the structure of our country. And, And don't get me wrong. I think it's a good thing. But even still, anytime the fundamental structure shifts and something new might be on the horizon, crossing of the Jordan, that's still unknown. We don't know what's going to happen. There's fear. We don't know what your school situation is going to be like, what your job situation is going to be like, what your financial situation. There are so many unknowns. and the church, people are moving away. No one's moving into the city. When Anna and I got back uh, uh, to, to our neighborhood, we are talking to our next door neighbor and he was saying that he's seen like 200 houses go up for sale in our neighborhood. He's never seen anything like it. The, the foundation is shaking, guys. The structure is shaking. I was afraid. You are afraid. We know fear. And in that, we read God's word to us. Do not be afraid afraid take a sabbatical from your fear cease the fear stop it let go of the unknowns and then he says don't be afraid do not be discouraged you know when i when i had surgeries later on in my life when i was younger i was afraid because i had never done them when i got older and i'm around surgery 15 17 at this point I wasn't afraid anymore, now I was cynical. I was discouraged. I still remember one time um, before one of my surgeries, they had already started like the, the, the medicine, the anesthesia uh, into my IV. And I was getting loopy, I was getting high. And um, my, my dad comes over to the bedside, and he reads this passage, and I still remember reading this passage and feeling so far removed from him and from it. I still remember feeling so bitter and cynical. I was like, okay, great, God's with me, but he can't protect me from the pain. I'm about to go back under the knife. I'm gonna have a whole lot more pain and I'm gonna wake up again on the other side and have a long recovery. I was discouraged. I was cynical. I was bitter. Joshua and Israel, they know discouragement. We're told they're about to cross the Jordan River and inherit the promised land. But here's what you need to know. This is not the first time they've been at the threshold of the promised land. Forty years ago, they were actually there, ready to take it. And it's a really fascinating story. Moses sends out um, representatives of the 12 tribes to go into the land that God has said is theirs, and to spy it out, and to return with a report. And they do. And when those 12 um, um, spies come back, or... 13, it might be 13 actually, but whatever. When the representatives come back with a report, two of them say, we can take it, but the others say it can't be done. This is what we read. This is from Numbers. Then they, they being the spies, they told him, Moses, and they said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the defendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. (laughs) And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. That's in Numbers chapter 13. In the very next chapter, God is so grieved at the lack of faith of his people that he vows that none of them that were alive, except for the two spies who said, we can take this land, and Joshua was one of the two. None of them that were alive will actually inherit the land. And so for the next 40 years, Moses turns the people around, leads them back into the desert, where they wander for 40 years. And they just think about their regret and their mistakes. And they know that their people, their, aunt, their, 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 their posterity, their children will inherit the land but they will not. God is so grieved that they have such little faith after seeing his signs and his wonders. See, the people, they were listening to other voices more than they were listening to the voice of God. The people, their eyes were fixed on the giants of the land, on the fortified cities. Their eyes were fixed on things other than God, and so it filled their hearts with discouragement. When I left for sabbatical, I was discouraged. You may still be in a place of discouragement because what I saw when I retreated were the ways that I had listened and trusted other voices, where I had consulted and considered other voices, where I saw my mistakes, And I let my shame, my fear, my discouragement fill me and draw me into a place of cynicism, draw me into a place of disbelief. I had allowed my heart to focus more on society's giants than on the promises of God and the past provision of God. And it had filled me with discouragement. And you know what I'm talking about. I don't even need to list out the giants, but I will. The giants of social media. I was filled with the voices in this virtual space where it feels like everyone is shouting at everyone else. Everyone has a, has a form of self-righteousness. And, and I mean that in like the, the very literal sense, that they are righteous in themselves, their views are the right ones, are the righteous ones. And so there's this propagation of self-righteousness. I was filled with the giants and the voices. My eyes were fixed on on news sources where everyone is sort of putting out their, their doomsday articles. Everyone is politicizing this pandemic on both sides and projecting chaos. I was filled, and, and this one is, is a little different. My eyes were fixed on the giants of, of my own reason, my own strategy. I was trusting in myself, attempting to lead a church that was, the structure was changing all around me, attempting to control things that weren't mine to control, attempting to, to understand things that I couldn't understand. And in all of those places, and you probably know what I'm talking about too, where you're, you're trying to to plan out your life, plan out your career, plan out your finances. Your eyes are focused, they're fixed on the fortified cities and the giants. And in all of those ways, you're probably experiencing discouragement in your heart. Because your eyes are not fixed on the God who has gone before you. Your ears are not attuned to the promises he has made for you. Those voices, they have created more stress and they've elicited more cynicism and discouragement. I was discouraged. You are discouraged. I've been talking about revival for a while. Some of you guys know. Probably for like a year and a half. And not just me, there are tons of pastors talking about it. There are other words for revival, awakening, renewal, outpouring. To revive something means to make alive again. It is God visiting his people and bringing them to life again, breathing life into them again. And so over sabbatical, I was reading lots of books on it. And I noticed something fascinating. Every single revival, every single one, every single one, across the world in the last 2,000 years has been born out of a place of a deep desperation, a deep desperation for the presence of God, a deep return to the fundamental things of life, a return to the first love, to that place of intimacy. Every revival is birthed out of deep prayer, a longing to do nothing but pray for all hours and to worship because everything else is insecure and unstable, because we have nothing else that makes our hearts come alive like the presence of God. In a sense, every revival is born out of sabbatical. And again, sabbatical means to cease, to stop, Every revival is born out of a ceasing of work, a refusing an abandoning of the voices, of the giants that had filled your heart with fear and discouragement, and a return to the fundamentals of intimacy. Think about the example of the couple, right? The married couple who wakes up, and they're like, what happened? How do we become roommates? How do they revive their relationship again? What do they do? Well, they hire a babysitter, and then they shut off their phones, and they take a trip. They remove the voices that have been clamoring in their hearts and they return, they commit themselves to that first love, that place of intimacy. And for us, the place of intimacy is worship and song and prayer. They take a sabbatical and they meet just themselves. See, what I, what I learned as I was reading these books on revival is that revival comes, God visits his people again. Because their fear and their discouragement has become so great. It's reached the tipping point that the other things that they were focusing on, they realize aren't working. They don't want it. They're not leading to more life, more joy, more peace. And they reject them because the world is so insecure. There's no patch of ground to stand on. And they return. They return. They resolve to not know the unknowns. So therefore, they don't know fear. They resolve to not be discouraged because their ears are attuned to a different voice. Their heart is focused on a different person, the person of God. And God meets them. Revival is God coming to his people again because they have come back to him again. They've returned to the first love. And even when we read in Revelation 2, where we get this series title from, you have forsaken your first love. That's what God says to the church. The word for forsaken is "afekes," which means to remove, to send away, to allow, to drop. It does not mean to reject. It's not that they like rejected their first love or they 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 um, denounced their first love. They just got too busy. They were filled with so many other things that they unintentionally let drop their intimacy with God. See, here's the thing guys, you have two options. You have two options. I don't care if you're a Christian or not, you have two options. You either take a sabbatical from the world and you listen, you return to the fundamental things of your life. You you return to the voice of God saying, I am with you and I love you, or you take a sabbatical from God and you listen to the world. Jesus said the exact same thing when he came. He said, Whoever wants to follow me, let him pick up his cross, deny himself, and come die with me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever forsakes his life for my sake will find it, will save it. What's he saying? He's saying, Whoever listens, the voice of the world and tries to know what is unknown about the fall tries to um, save the world cares more about how the world turns than they care about the person of jesus if you're attempting to do that you're going to continue to be filled with discouragement and fear and you're going to lose it but whoever forsakes those, lets those things go. And not entirely, but lets them go fundamentally. At the the base level of your heart, lets them go for the sake of knowing Jesus, knowing friendship with God through the love found in Jesus. If you do that, you will find your life. You will find your soul. You will find it. And in Revelation two, God says, consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first look at your own life take assessment are you happy with it do you feel peace do you feel a deep abiding sense of joy do you know how deeply loved you are by God you you do you know that God sees your shame sees your regret Seize your discouragement, seize your cynicism, seize your fear. And that has not changed his heart for you. Do you know how deeply loved you are by God? Is it working? If not, then let it go. Return, repent, return, come back to the fundamentals. Resolve to know nothing, as Paul says, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Cease from your exploration and the end of all your exploring will be to arrive where you started and to know the place for the first time. Stop trying to know the unknowns. Stop trying to save the world. It hasn't been given to you to save and return from your exploration, return to the place where it all began, where you started and know it for the first time. And what does that mean? Where did you start? Where did I start? I started as a young boy who knew nothing of this world, knew nothing. But I heard God say to me through the voice of my parents, have I not commanded you, Russ? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God, me, the Lord your God, your creator, I will be with you wherever you go, wherever you go. Karl Barth, and the crazy thing is you you see this everywhere. Karl Barth, um, he was arguably the greatest theologian of the 20th century for the church. He wrote extensively, thousands and thousands and thousands of rich, beautiful theology. At the end of his life, He's almost dead. He's he's, at the end of his life. He was having an interview and they asked him, sum up your life's work. Can you sum it up for us? Right? You've done all this exploration. You've wanted to understand the world, understand God. Sum it all up for us. And this is what he said. He goes, I will sum up my theology like this. I will sum up the gospel of God like this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible, tells me so. He arrived at the start and he knew it for the first time. John Wesley, the revivalist who led England and the UK in this massive revival in the 18th century. As he was dying, the night he was dying, he kept getting up in the middle of the night and he worshiped and he prayed and he'd go back to sleep and he'd get up and he'd worship and he'd pray. And the very last words that that they could understand what he was saying over and over as he was dying, as he was fading, his life was fading and he was entering into glory. The very last things he was saying is, the greatest of all is God with us. The greatest of all is God with us. The greatest of these is God with us. That's what was filling his heart. He resolved to know nothing but the greatest of life, the best gift that is yours, is that God is with you. As Tim Keller says, you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And friends, I think one of the gifts of what I realized on sabbatical and where we're going this fall, is that Jesus is all you need. The love of God is all you need. And notice the insecurity, notice the instability, and realize that Jesus might be all you have. Turn to him, return. On sabbatical, there was a there was one morning where I was, my, my folks, they have a a, a house on the, the Little Wicomico River in Northern Virginia in the middle of nowhere, like nowhere. And there's a dock and I was sitting on the dock and um, I was sitting there and worshiping and praying in the morning and there's a tree and, uh, that sort of like sits on the bank in the water. It was just so beautiful. And as I was worshiping on my Spotify playlist came on the song, How He Loves. Maybe you know this song. And this song is maybe like 20 years old now, but it's such a powerful song. And as it came on, something happened. It just, God hit me in a different place again. And the lyrics, I'm not going to sing it, but the lyrics are so beautiful. So just to recite it as a poem, listen. And I was sitting there with the the wind um, rushing and it was early and still cool. And I'm looking at this tree by the water. And the lyrics of of John Mark McMillan, who's the the writer and the singer, it goes like this. He goes, he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and his mercy. And all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us us all. And That line when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, these afflictions utterly eclipsed by glory, by his beauty. And I realize, I know it. I know it for the first time. I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And what is the gospel? What is the message? What do we come into the world knowing and then we die knowing? And in between, there's a lot of middle stuff. But this is, this is, God gave me a message on sabbatical, guys. And I want to tell you with everything in me. Here it is. Please listen closely. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. It's almost like this note of surprise. Oh. How he loves us. Oh. The greatest of these is God with us. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where your heart's at. But here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to promise you. That the Lord God is with you wherever you go. That his love for you is so much stronger than your hatred for yourself that his love for you is so much greater than your fear of the unknown. His love for you, for me, for this earth is so much deeper and richer than our discouragement and our cynicism of the way things have gone. And it's revealed in the cross of his son, because when he says that wherever you go, I will be with you, he means wherever you go, even into sin and death even into the places where we know our mistakes and our shame should take us he follows us there because he loves us all and between those two phrases right between us coming into the world and hearing god say i love you and between us summing up our life's work saying jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so there's a lot but the glory, the greatest of these is God with us. Cease your exploring, cease your searching. What you're looking for isn't out there. It's when you return to the source, return to the start and know that you are not alone. And God has made you, adores you and wants to be intimate in relationship with you. Know that fully. Let it overwhelm you. This fall, we're going to be taking a sabbatical as a church. We're going to be ceasing certain things, stopping them. And it's not that they're unimportant, but it's just that we need to return to the fundamentals of our very existence. We need to return to that place, ceasing our exploration, returning to the start and knowing it again, hearing the love of God, seeking out His presence and His love as if it was for the first time all over again, because everything else is not giving us what what it promises. And so we're gonna be returning to prayer and worship, prioritizing it, to loving our brother and sister, loving like our real brother and sister, serving our neighbor, and tuning out any voice that claims a louder audience than the voice of our creator in that still small place within us saying, I see you, I choose you, I'm with you, I love you. Because in November, guys, I don't know where we'll be in November. Don't know what's going to happen. Don't know if we'll still be on camera. I don't know if we'll be in person. I don't know what's going to happen politically. But in November, here's what I do know. God will still be with me. God will still be with us. Jesus will still be alive. He will still be the King and his love will still be the answer that all of us are seeking. That is where our searching is is leading us back to the start where God says, I made you and I love you. Next week, invite your friends. We're going to talk about where we're headed as a community in specifics, particulars, some exciting announcements for the fall. We'll be kicking off our series, The Fog, looking at the temptations of Jesus. and and how they sort of parallel our own temptations right now. We'll also be kicking off our prayer and fasting. Sign up below. Sign up. Cease from all these other things. Return to your first love. Return. And even if you don't know Him, come for the first time. Come. Seek His face. And I guarantee you'll find what your hearts are looking for. I promise you that. I promise you. Seek Him. The registration's below. And with that, I want to close us in prayer. So would you, if you feel comfortable, put your palms out in this posture of letting go of things and receiving God and join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come upon us, that you would anoint us with love as the song says, that these afflictions would be eclipsed by glory. It's not that the fear and the discouragement isn't real. We've tasted it. We know it's real. It's that your glory, your love is stronger than they. And when we know that, when we know that love that reaches us in those deep places, every other voice pales in comparison. What are fortified cities and giants to us? When we know the love of God that would come and follow us, even to sin and death and not be defeated by it but be raised to life again, defeating the powers of the evil one, rescuing us, choosing us, redeeming us, sustaining us. Lord, for any heart that's listening, that has never known you, I pray right now that they would just open up their hearts and within their hearts and and out of their mouths, they would say, Jesus, I want to know your love. Jesus, love me. And for those who have been bitter or afraid, Lord, I pray that you would inspire in their hearts right now, a passion and a desire to worship and to pray, to fast, to seek you more than they seek to know the answers of life, to seek you more than they seek anything else, any other voice. Would they seek their first love? Would they return? Would you make Hope Brooklyn a a place this fall that is returning to you, Jesus. We love you so much. We're so grateful that you were strong, that you were consistent and faithful, even when we are not. Join us as we worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're about to sing a song or response. I would encourage you to sing freely to sing with whatever measure of faith you have, and then we'll be right back, and uh, I will lead us in communion.